take a minute uh, before we even get in the message. Greg was sharing with me. I hadn't really fully heard the story of the family uh, there in the mountains at Pigeon Forge where he had um, dropped off his wife and children and went about, like he said, about an hour away. And then he heard about what was happening. He went back and he was too late. And Greg said he just stood at the cabin crying out names. Just really got to me. And I. So, I want to take a moment and just lift them up. Dear God, I don't know this man. But I can't imagine God. I just can't imagine, Lord. Words are... uh, I'm grateful that the Word of God says that the Holy Spirit intercedes with groans that words cannot express. Holy Spirit, come along beside Him. Be there with Him. And God, I don't know where he is as far as his relationship with you. But I pray that you would reveal yourself to him. If that's for salvation or if that's a reminder that he belongs to you. I just pray, Father, that you would reveal yourself to him. And Father, we just pray for those that have experienced so much pain and loss and Thank you for those who have responded so lovingly with supplies. But Lord, we pray that you might supply what the hearts need there. And I just continue to pray, Lord, as we look at your word tonight. God is Father for your glory. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I'm going to read from Scripture, uh, Acts 17, 21 through 24. And I'll ask when you find that if you'll stand in God's honor as tribute to Him. All the Athenians and the foreigners who lived there spent their time doing nothing but talking about and listening to the latest ideas. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I'm going to proclaim to you that God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. May God honor the reading of his word. May be seated. A few years ago, Pew Research ran a poll of 4,000 people as far as their belief in the supernatural. It was interesting, 29% said that they had recently been in touch with the dead. Another 18% said that they had seen a ghost. Four out of ten Americans who did not attend church said that they believed in angels. Uh, Basically, three out of four Americans said that they believed in the paranormal. Um, basically, even though we live in a time where 
people are very spiritual. And people um, do think about the supernatural. That does not necessarily mean they believe the Bible. It does not necessarily mean that they have an understanding of our Lord and our Savior. Um, matter of fact, uh, there are those who think that, you know, when you die, you might come back and haunt somebody. And some of you might have an idea of a few people if you could do that. No. <laughs> but uh, just, okay, no, we need to... We need to follow Jesus and not get off on say it's something here. I shouldn't have done that. Uh, but no, uh, seriously, if you look at Luke 16.3, which is a story of the rich man and the beggar, Lazarus, there is a picture there of um, being able to see the relatives of, of this rich man. And it talks about that they're in Hades. Which when death occurs, there is a waiting place until the judgment of God. And then we know in Second Corinthians 5 verse 8, to be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. So the scriptures doesn't give this picture that when you die, you're going to roam the earth. And, you know, be some kind of super natural ghost that haunts houses and all that kind of thing. Um, yet in spite of that, those people uh, have a belief in something bigger than they are. As a matter of fact, uh, another poll, a Gallup poll, said that 90% of the people that they polled pray. And 39% of those say they pray daily to a supernatural power. Yet those same people often believe in ghosts and Bigfoot and the Loch Ness Monster and space aliens. It's nothing new. In the Middle Ages, flickering lights of marsh gas were uh, considered to be ghosts of departed people or goblins. And there was even a belief that fireflies were uh, the souls of people, babies who had not been baptized. And in ancient maps, uh, what they didn't understand, they would mark what they knew and then they would say, place of the unknown where dragons dwell. There's always been this sense of supernatural, of trying to figure out what they cannot understand. And it's true for modern man. You know, we act like we've gotten so smart and so sophisticated and so far ahead. Yet in each heart, there is a longing for someone bigger to turn to and to worship. Paul tells us in 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 10. He says, But it has now been revealed through the appearing of our Savior Christ Jesus, who has destroyed death and brought life and immortality to light through the gospel. Jesus has revealed the answer to eternity, to what happens after death. First, he's destroyed death, which means death has no more power. The power of death is not the final word. I love it in 1 Corinthians 15 where it says that death will be the last enemy to be destroyed, to be wiped out. 
He talks about where does life come from? Uh, immortality or eternal life. It comes through the gospel. Through the belief of the scriptures. And that's what he shares with these people. Uh, matter of fact, we looked at last week as we were looking here in this passage in Acts 17. First, that the people were intuitively religious. And it's pretty amazing when you look at Athens. You know, that historians were saying there was many as 73,000 statues of gods. Uh, one ancient guy said, you know, you were more likely to meet a god than you were a man walking down the street. Because of all these statues. But there was a deep longing inside to find someone bigger. Uh, some of these gods, Nike, you know, it's not just the shoes that you wear when you exercise. The god of victory to Athena, to which Athens is named after. The god of wisdom, goddess of wisdom and strength. To Ares, the god of war. To Aphrodite, the goddess of love and beauty. And then there's Eros... The goddess of sexual attraction. And then you have the Roman counterpart, Cupid. Both of them used bow and arrows to try to get the attention of someone where they're just totally enamored with you. Uh, with this idea of physical attraction to cast their spell. And in that day, uh, work was also tied to these many gods. There were guilds and there were unions that were tied to these many different gods. And there was this social connection and people were tied in for their very livelihood in being able to follow and understand all of these gods. Two major buildings of that day. There was the Parthenon, that temple dedicated to that main goddess, Athena, and then the Audion of Herod, which was a famous building of a theater where uh, there was acting and there was music. Uh, it was a constant gathering, social gathering. But where we find ourselves here in the scriptures is the Areopagus, which was a stone that jutted up 500 feet in the air and overlooked Athens. It was where the Supreme Court of Greece, of Athens, met, and the other justices have been forgotten except for the one who is mentioned further down in our text, Dionysus. And as we'll look at later on as we go through the scripture of him, we see in verse 21 that these people not only were they hungering and aware of other gods and having that longing in their heart but they also were intellectually curious they sat around talking about the latest ideas and listening to the latest ideas and philosophizing but tonight we want to look at the third truth as we see them and you know it's interesting here because as you look at this it's really what we face today in a culture that's um, no longer is open to Christianity. There's a lot of people who haven't read the Bible, who haven't been to church, who are not familiar with the terms that you and I know as a second language so well. Notice he says here in verse 22, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. 
He could say, you guys are nuts to have 73,000 different gods. How do you keep up with all of them? I couldn't even catalog them, much less remember them even if I wrote them down. But he didn't do that. He said, I look around, I see you're a religious people. I see that you've thought a lot about the answers and the purpose of life and, and, and who God is. And I love what he does. As he approaches them in the next verse, he says, verse 23, For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now what you worship is something unknown. I am going to proclaim to you. There was an inward anxiety that came among these people. Why? Because they... They wanted to know what, why there was pain, why there was suffering. There was this inward anxiety, and so they had all these statues, all these gods that they worshipped because they didn't want to leave anybody out. That was the picture. And that goes back, uh, if you go back in history to 500 years, the most uh, famous one uh, who broke... Uh, the Athenian ways, which was a guy named Socrates that we've heard about, they ended up having to drink poison. The reason he ended up drinking poison was he had spoken to a lot of the young people and said the way of the ancient gods of Greece is not true. And as a result of that, he ended up, as he went against the gods of ancient Greece and their superstitions, he didn't believe in them, but he didn't believe in the one true God either. But as a result of going against them, he was forced by the leadership to drink this hemlock. But if you go a hundred years before him, 600 years, there was a guy by the name of Epimenides who was a philosopher. And and he was also a, a type of a guru, religious guru of the people. And there was a great plague. And nobody had the answers to why there was this plague and why people were dying. And so Epimenides, he said, um, the answer is we have upset one of the gods. And we need to appease the right God. So the people said, well, what do we do? How do we appease the right God? Epimenides, he said, well, here's what you need to do. You need to turn a flock of sheep loose. And whatever altar they lie down near, you go there and you offer that sheep as a sacrifice to that God. But the problem was, some of them didn't lie down by an altar. I mean, you would think with all those altars that they would all lie down by an altar. But they didn't. So as a result of that, they said, well, what do we need to do? Well, you need to sacrifice to an unknown God. So they built an altar to an unknown God and they sacrificed that sheep to the unknown God. So here we are, 600 years later. Here's the Apostle Paul and they had a rule that you could not worship another deity unless it was approved by the Supreme Court. Those royal rulers that judged what you were allowed to do. And so he is coming before them. And... You know, well-known knowledge that Socrates, when he tried to go against the court or the idea of religious beliefs, it was poison. 
But Paul was wise in that he came under the inspiration of God, of the Holy Spirit. And he said, this unknown God, this altar, you don't know who the God is. Let me tell you, I know who he is. I know who this God is. He is the God who created everything. He is the God who made the heaven and the earth. You can't fit him inside some little temple. He's not merely within some statue made of marble or any other kind of substance. He is the God who was not created. He is the God who creates everything and to whom we worship. So this anxiety comes from not discovering the God who is to be the God of peace. And so as they listened to the Apostle Paul, they would hear about a God who was much bigger than they had heard before. A God that was not distant, but a God who wanted to be connected and involved within their very lives. This unknown God was about to become the God who would be known. As God would work through Paul in the Areopagus to bring forth his message. Let's pray. Father, um, just a short message tonight, Father. To be reminded, Lord, of... uh, Boy, there's a lot of people out there, God, who... um, They don't know you. And how are they going to know you? You are the unknown God to them, Lord. So what is our call? What is it, Father, you want us to do? Uh, The people who are anxious. How are they going to see this unknown God? Show us, Father. Show us what our role is in all of that. People are religious, Lord. There is a hunger. They need to be directed, though, to you. So help us, Father, not to take for granted, Lord, that they will show up in a church somewhere. God, give us what we need in order to be able to share with these people, Father. To be able to love them. And, Father, to lead them to you through the book. Um, Father, we don't need some big, new, fancy plan. We just need to be a real people of your book and to be able to explain, Father, what is in your book, Lord. Your word tells us to always be ready to give an answer for the hope that you have. Father, help us to do that. And we're called to do that with gentleness and respect, Lord. So it's not to be some big argument. That's not the goal. The goal is, Father, that we are to be a people who know you and are able to communicate that, Father, through our lives and through our lips, through our words and through our works, and through what you want to do in us, O God. So just work in us, Lord. In the name of Jesus, we pray.